Hello and welcome back to Joe's Art History Podcast, a podcast which celebrates all things art historical with me, your host and your resident art historian, Joe McLaughlin. Welcome back. It is episode 56 and this week we are taking a deep dive into the life and works of performance artist Marina Abramovich. And joining me this week to discuss Marina and her incredible life and work is British artist Gemma Louise. Gemma and I take you on a whistle-stop tour through three of Marina's most iconic works. This includes Rhythm Zero, Imponderabilia, and The Artist is Present. Marina is iconic in the realms of not just the contemporary world, but in particular performance art. She has went on to craft her own institution named the Marina Abramovich Institution and is seen as a pioneer of female artists across the globe. Her work is incredibly physically demanding as well as thought-provoking. Her pieces strike fear and actually at times allow you to question not just the artist's sanity, but your own as well. Marina Abramovich is making waves across the world and currently at the time of release, which is October 2023, there is an incredible retrospective on at the Royal Academy of Arts, which runs until the 1st of January 2024. If you're listening to this and feel inspired to learn a little bit more about Marina Abramovich and what she gets up to in her art practice, and you find yourself in London between now and the 1st of January 2024, please do check out the exhibition it is incredible and it's wonderful to see so many of the works that we talk about in this podcast episode in her retrospective at the Royal Academy of Arts so without further ado sit back and relax as Gemma and I discuss Marina Abramovich enjoy it's an absolute pleasure to chat to you and you're on to talk about Marina Abramovich. Now, there's about 19 ways I've heard different people say her name. So if anyone's listening and they're like, oh, I don't say her name that way. Um, how do you pronounce it? I say Marina Abramovich. I do- exactly the same, Marina Abramovich. <laughs> I, I had an episode on Van Gogh and either my guest said Van Gogh or I said Van Gogh. Or, but anyway, I was sort of like, it's Van Gogh, Van Gogh. Like, you know who we're talking about. Like, mm-hmm. just come as you are. But I said this before we started recording, but I was so thrilled when you wrote me to say that you wanted to speak about Marina Abramovich because she has very recently only entered into, I mean, I was aware of her, but has only really entered into like my realm of appreciation and Mm -hmm. actually recording to speak with you has been an utter pleasure and also a little bit daunting because she's such a powerhouse that I was almost like, can a one-hour episode do this injustice? Which I'm sure you both you would agree. It's yes. But she, Marina Abramovich, for people at home that's who have never heard of her, can you give us a little bit about who she is, what she does, and why you think she's worthy of a podcast episode? 
So Marina Abramovich is often referred to as the grandmother of performance art. And I think that title is like worthy enough of like just how much of a stance she has within this realm. She is known for pushing boundaries. She is known for challenging not only her mind and her body within her performance. She has also challenged the viewer too with that, with the decision making and the rationale of the viewer too. I know recently she's kind of more gone into like more of installation basis where the actual audience actually take part in like these performance elements that she creates herself. But she was known for being like shocking and it was like back in the era when it all started, it was kind of of all, really, is this woman really going to do this thing? (laughs) And it was that shock value that kind of gave her the platform to start what she's been able to build up and it's just absolute phenomenon honestly yeah and I agree with you and when I mean the first artwork we're going to talk about is called Rhythm Zero and that's very much like the early days of her like Mm -hmm. years and I'll be very honest until I was researching for this podcast I had never heard of this and it was one of these things where I read about it and then I kind of had to stand up and sort of walk it off a little bit because I was like yes god she is oh my god do you want to explain just a little bit for people at home what Rhythm Zero is. This is just to give people a beginning entrance into the type of things. Okay. Yeah. So with Rhythm Zero, she was just stood there, clothed, just in the gallery space. And all there was was a set of instructions that says, there's 72 objects on this table that one can use on me as desired. I am the object. And she invited the audience to pick any of these objects that are on the table and just use them on her as she wished. And you've got to bear in mind these objects, they span from something playful to the utter dangerous. Like there was like, for example, a gun that was actually loaded there. And she even said, like, when she talks back about that before, she was willing to die. Like she would allow for that to take place. And so she put herself in that severe vulnerability. It can be argued. It was just absolutely insane yeah and when I was reading about this I was kind of like is she actually a maniac because (laughs) I don't actually think there was any security there and no or they were told to just sort of hang back and then recounting her experience with it because as you've said it's, it's this table where people could literally come in and pick up a rose and hand her her rose and she's got this really incredible retelling where she's sort of like the audience have the power to kill you and they very they very nearly did and they probably would have mm-hmm. it gone on any longer the gun as you've mentioned somebody you know well it started very sort of playful someone sort of like made her sit down spun her yeah. around people gave her kisses on the cheek people there was a rose on the table people handed her a rose and then it got really quite the the atmosphere changed it was like an evening like a private view performance from 8 p.m to 2 a.m she's got this retelling where it hit a certain time in the evening and it completely changed yeah the the intent it just became so intense within that atmosphere all of a sudden and it's interesting how in the beginning like the interactions from the audience were so innocent and were actually just testing the waters so to speak and as the time progressed and they were learning oh actually I can do these things oh I could actually do that or I could do this 
it kind of allowed the audience to entertain these ideas and actually go into what some may refer as like that dark space that we all have in the corner of our minds that our brain does trick us sometimes like there's that analogy where like some where people say you know you start on the edge of the cliff and your brain you know everything in you is like you're not going to jump off the edge of the cliff but you there's that little voice in your brain that goes but you could and it's so interesting how it plays on how we think and how we rationalize and decision make with this piece as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I find it, I completely agree with what you said there. It's sort of, it gives you that voice in the back of your head, that permission to actually sort of follow through. on mm-hmm. What I find really interesting is, as you say, it, it turned quite intentional. People cut her clothes off. Mm-hmm. Essentially, at one point she was standing there half naked. Someone took the gun and placed it to her temple. Someone used one of the knives that was there to slit her throat, a scar which she still has today to drink her blood. And um, when I've listened to her retelling this, she has a fabulous TED Talk where she talks about her the history of performance art. And I would thoroughly encourage anyone listening to this, once you're done listening, watch the TED talk it's 15 minutes and she's so articulate and to the point of why her pieces are important and what it says about society Mm -hmm. essentially in this TED talk she was like the only reason I wasn't raped was because men were there with their wives if they were left alone with me and told you can do whatever you want to me I know that's what would happen Mm -hmm. I find that really dangerous but also so radical that she can place herself in this environment and be like this is a social experiment because that's what it is yes a real experiment like forget big brother she was doing this before big brother <laughs> if you're listening and you know what that is from the UK um yeah what is your thoughts on it turning dark and especially what happened once the performance was finished can you talk to us a little bit about that in a way it was for me watching it and from previous study that I've done in various performance arts around that time period, it was the natural end to it. It was always going to increase intensity, in my opinion. It was always going to become that intense because otherwise, like, it wouldn't have, like, how do I say this? <laughs> it was always going to become this intense and build up to this moment it was that final like lift off as it will yeah. um looking at it like thinking about if I was her actually in her shoes there's no way I could have stood there and for her to be able to have that willpower to be able to train her mind to be able to withstand all these like huge obscure human interactions she was having done to her and be able to process that and just go through with the motions of that is one of the things that I found fascinating about it the most Well, that's it. And I think that's what people fail to grasp and really understand is that this is an endurance piece, not only in the fact that she's sort of dangled this carrot where she's tempting the audience to be like, you can do what you want with me. Here are your tools. I am your canvas. Her ability to switch off and stand there or do whatever is required over for six hours and as we go on through the podcast we'll talk about her performances that get lengthier and lengthier and become Mm -hmm. weeks long which is bonkers people really fail to grasp how difficult and unique it is to be able to stand there and 
just let people do what you want to do without that, without letting what's happening in your head force you into action and into leaving. She is somebody that really, I don't know, pushes what it is to understand yourself and really yeah. comfortable with forces that you can't control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> because it's performance art is this thing. I think people see it as theatre and it's not theatre. In the theatre, you know, if you have a knife, the knife is not a knife. It's, you know. It's It's fake. (laughs) And the blood isn't blood. It will be like ketchup or some sort of paprika paste or whatever. Whereas performance art, you cannot rehearse for it. Mm -hmm. You can't predict what people can do. You can have a think of, well, you know, if you you put certain objects down, there's a chance someone's going to pick up the gun and do X, Y, and Z. But you really, she, it's a trust exercise mm-hmm. in terms of the artist is fully letting go of any blame and trusting that the audience will take part in this performance and that they are actually the people performing. And in this case, I think she's the one that's just sort of merely, I don't know, providing a means of en- enabling that action. Yeah. I think I've said that in a way that that makes sense. <laughs> Um, but yeah I just so thank you really for mm. putting me on to this unbelievably important work of performance art it's as I said to you before we started recording I've recently experienced an Abramovich installation and walkthrough mm-hmm. and it's the ability what I love about it is or what her concept's very simple you are yeah. by yourself she's asking you just to come as you are and, and be present and that's kind of a theme throughout her whole her whole backstory. And yes. Thing that people are very uncomfortable with. They're very uncomfortable. No phones, no talking. Yeah, I find it so fascinating. It is honestly fascinating. And with that, with the recent stuff that she's been doing as well, I do find that interesting as well, because she actually has her own institute. I'm not sure if you know about this. Oh, this, this is brand new information to me today. Yeah, <laughs> I was about it. It's wild. It's yeah. Wild. So for anyone who doesn't know, she actually has uh, workshops that she holds herself and they go on for like quite a long period of time, like over like a few weeks or something like that, some cases. And in this time you work with Marina and you go through all these endurance tests in a way it is and do these like certain forms of performance art pieces that she's created for them to like go through and it's like it's in like it's like a ritualistic process that they all go through and it's such an interesting thing that she's like inviting others to try and like like kind of welcoming arms like come in and like trying to give them the same kind of exposure to this realm that she has delved herself into and has been a part of so long it's really interesting it's fantastic and she sort of peg not sort of she pegs it as this is a training institution I'm training Mm -hmm. you as like the future performance artist but she does things like you'll you'll sit down and you'll count grains of rice yeah and she said, now that sounds bizarre, but there's a process that you're going through. And the training there is initially you get so frustrated that you're told to do this very mundane, non-rewarding task. Mm-hmm. But actually, as you continue through, you there becomes a time where, particularly once you're done in the end, there's a sense of accomplishment, but you haven't really accomplished anything. It's training your mind to be like, this is the purpose. I can sit with myself. I can be still. And all, all you have to do in that moment is count. 
and your your phones are taken off you your laptops are taken mm-hmm. off watches everything so when you're in these institutions and these workshops she completely loses well you as the as the participant completely lose track of days times whatever mm-hmm. yeah it is it's kind of like some people would do an intense driving course you know just bash yeah. it five six days Marina Abramovich is like going to give you an intense performance artist sort of base training level and then from that you can take it and go whatever you want with it which I I just think is amazing Mm -hmm. you touched very briefly there on a very big important person in Marina Abramovich's life yes and that is no if I say this wrong (laughs) forgive me Uli or Uvi I think it's Uli but I'm not sure the pronunciation myself it's one of those things like Van Gogh Van Gogh (laughs) yeah so Uli and tell us a little bit about who he was to Marina and her work. So during her time of creating work, she ended up meeting Ule, who was who was a German artist, and they became, in a sense, an entity together. So they performed like different pieces together. They actually formed an identity of a collective, which they called the other. So that's how they refer to themselves. They didn't refer to themselves as a separate artist. They just referred to themselves as one form. Basically, as they've described, Marina has described herself as like a two-headed body. So literally connected in every way, shape and form. And throughout their art relationship together, but also they had a romantic relationship too. They began exploring concepts such as like the ego and the artistic identity. They looked into, you know, the process and breaking that down, like literally to the core of just being just the form standing there and just just being there in that moment like they wanted to focus on that energy they could have together the psychic energy the idea of male and female there's quite a lot going off Mm. but the main thing that they had to battle with which she has admitted in the past was like the main challenge was their ego as artists (laughs) which was really interesting to me because she has labeled that many times as the main problem because they had to both find a way to put that ego down so that they could become this form that they created as the other within their relation works it was really it, their relationship is really interesting it really is and I remember very briefly touching so I studied art history at university and I remember very briefly in my first year this being this like whistle-stop tour of the history of art and that was essentially the whole first year was like oh we're just gonna absolutely fly through it from like the renaissance to present day yeah. And very near the end of the course, there was maybe like 10 minutes on Marina Abramovich. And the image they showed us, and I can't remember the name of the work, but it's that very, very iconic work where Uli is, he is essentially holding a bow, an arrow, and she's yes. leaning back on the bow. I think energy something it's called. Energy, mm-hmm. I don't know what the second word is. And it's all about essentially that the the bow is the, the arrow rather is aimed at her heart, and it's all about as you see losing that ego, becoming one entity, and completely trusting mm-hmm. a person. And as an artist, of course, that you train and you you develop your own practice to then suddenly come together with someone and say, "Oh no, we're going to take this forward together." to fully let go of you as a one person to then hold someone's hand and like any relationship doesn't mm-hmm. like you have to let your ego drop 
and you have to compromise and meet in the middle in order to progress forward. Um, I The only people I can really think of that have done that successfully and continue to do that are Gilbert and George. But it's mm-hmm. almost kind of like when I was thinking about it earlier, it's like your whole life then becomes a performance piece, surely. You're giving up your yeah. solo identity to become the other like this because it was a work of art it was a performance piece in itself even them just being together and one of the works the next work we're going to talk about was I don't was it one of the first they ever did together or was it very early on in their sort of working career I think it was one of the very first that they did it was definitely like one of the earliest pieces that they did yes (laughs) okay do you want to tell us about it because I was going to attempt to say it in Ponderabilia. Oh gosh, you go. (laughs) (laughs) So, imponderabilia is how I'm going to pronounce this piece. And basically, this is one of the first early works that Marina and Ule did together as this collective form of one entity. And the concept was, I believe, um, I can't remember what museum this was exactly at, but they were just both completely nude and they stood in the doorway to the uh, that was of the entrance to this museum the only way the public could get into the museum to see the works that were within there is they had to go in between those two people in order to pass and in doing so they had to choose which one of them to face so whether they were going to face the male or the female so and the, the space in between them it wasn't like a large space like you think of like entrances to like museums around now and so on it's like a huge thing this was so it enclosed so small and you instantly were stripped away of any privacy, any form of dignity. As soon as you went through there, you had to face that and literally you would be clambering through the bodies, like making contact with both. And it was a tight squeeze in a sense. Yeah. yeah. I've, um, I found a, a video to it, which I'll leave in a link in the show notes below. And essentially in the video, there's like a small voiceover and it's essentially it's a video taken from one of the participants because what the participants didn't know is that mm-hmm. it was being filmed, which was a very important thing for the other to do, uh, for Mar- Marina and Uli to do. And it's essentially it's them discussing how uncomfortable they were to begin with and that Uli had actually had built the doorway, had essentially built things to sort of sit into it to make it narrower. And so people could, as you've just said, purposely they had to squeeze between them. But from Marina's recalling of it, as you've just put, people had to choose which side they were going to go through. They're going to face earlier, they're going to face Marina. Most people chose to face Marina. What's your thoughts on that? I feel like, in a way, that's because I think it's the whole male-female hierarchy in a way. Like if you think of a male, like in those kind of times, they would have thought that's a bit more mm-hmm. of a masculine kind of thing to face. Like it's a bit more head on. Whereas a female may, in some people's minds, like psychological, in like some psychological uh, ways when looking at it, it's more forgiving. It's more like nurturing. It's more like the, we go, when you think of like growing up, you go to the mother figure for comfort. Whereas obviously the father figure mm. is more, would have traditionally been, right, I'm going to be the one that goes out to work. I'm the one that has to do all the grift and graft and all of that stuff. Like, so I feel like that kind of comes into play with it when it comes into the choosing. Yeah. I think that's 
a very amazing way to look at it and Mm -hmm. I didn't think of that as a way of seeing it as like the mother figure that you turn towards as you come in because in the image that you sent me which anyone listening I'll put the three images up on my highlights reel in my Instagram under the number of this podcast episode and and I'll share them Mm -hmm. on my Instagram as well the image that you shared it's two men going through and a woman Two men are facing towards Marina and the woman is facing towards Uli. And I found that a really interesting, that that's what they had chosen to highlight um, as the artists. They had chosen those three works, those three images in particular to show people a snapshot of what it was about. And I think it's no accident that it's men and a woman and that they're facing who they're facing. I found it as, so I, I saw it in a bit more mm-hmm. of a studier way than than did. Um, I saw it as a very natural male instinct to want to face mm-hmm. a naked woman and sort of have that opportunity, that sort of lads moment, if you would, to sort of brush against her with no, um, with no yeah. consequences. Um, a bit like what happened in Rhythm Zero, absolutely no consequences. Here again, how often are men, no strings attached, invited to rub against very, very briefly a beautiful mm-hmm. woman and then continue on in their day? Um, if that was an installation now in London, it would never close <laughs> down. People would, it would be the number one attraction in London. Actually, Gemma, have we just come maybe up with a million dollar maybe idea? Maybe let's do something. <laughs> It's touring <laughs> exhibition because again it says a lot about the people that go in and 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 in the from what I was listening to because there's really not a lot written on this piece is that there's a it's more on rhythm zero and mm-hmm. another work that we're going to go on to talk about but I, I personally couldn't find lots yeah. and lots on one of what, the things that I like that uh, Marina said about this piece like at the time was that she described it as they were living doors and so the way that she described it was they were the doors to the gallery. If there were no artists, there would be no museums. So we are the living doors. And that is such a poetic way to wrap this all up. Something that may appear, for like for example, for you, something that may be seedy in a way with how people interact, or for me from a psychological um, viewpoint, like it really kind of like gives like another meaning to it with how she's... Mm. Yeah, like the, a higher mm. meaning to it and actually a more well-rounded, actually this is the point we're trying to make that, I, I, well, I suppose for, I mean, you, you're mm-hmm. an artist yourself, your work is incredibly, incredibly mm-hmm. personal and to have it on display for people to look at and pick apart and debate is you are laying yourself mm-hmm. bare. Perhaps that's what it is as the artist, whether it be on the wall sculpture on the floor or physically them you you lay yourself bare in a space as an artist and you constantly do that throughout your career so actually mm-hmm. what does it matter if you physically do that you do it anyway with whatever your your work is oh I love that I didn't yeah it's very that. interesting this was also supposed to last for three hours as well this performance but they actually ended up getting kicked out by the police after like 90 minutes 
yeah so it would have tended to last for three hours but this whole performance it only they ended up being escorted out by the police in the end after 90 minutes of this performance being in place because it was quite a controversial performance during that time period and you got to remind this is the time period where we've got like the era of like you know 60s late 70s you've got lots of people challenging lots of feminists the second wave of feminism which was a highly crucial point with especially with Abramovich's career and lots of happenings as well but this wasn't the only intervention that like museums like these had like lots of people like came did this like lots of different artists Yoko Ono, Yoyo Kusama, I can name a ton. (laughs) Did these things as a form of art but also Mm -hmm. with a political to it. Oh I love that maybe that could be yet another episode (laughs) (laughs) that we could chat about because the body is she's chosen to use her body as her tool that that is her performance and Uli, that their tool was the body. So that's why they could travel all over Europe. I think when they were together, they lived in a van and they traveled all over because they didn't need a studio or tools. They needed each other. They needed debate, stimulation, and then they could go and perform and wherever they like. It's quite a liberating in every sort of sense and very sort of middle finger up to mm-hmm. the traditional high arts, if you painting and sculpture. Actually, this is, in a way, it's it's very psychological and confronting. Not that sculpture and paintings can't be those things. They can be very confronting and make you think. But you can always sort of go back to those paintings. They will forever be on the wall or on a plinth. Whereas a performance piece is, it's there, it's a moment, and then it's gone. So you then also sort of question yourself, sort of like, did Did that happen? (laughs) And actually that in itself is a really powerful thing to be able to like present somebody with something and then take it away and leave no trace of it bar images on the internet, which in the 70s, mm-hmm. there was no such thing, is a really interesting way to play with mm-hmm. an audience and engage and talk. Um, I, oh my gosh, I, I am, just want to say I am really enjoying <laughs> this conversation. It's so nice because... I've been listening to podcasts all day and reading a little bit and it's just so nice to like really like mm-hmm. dig into this with someone. I think let's move on and chat about the last mm-hmm. piece, which I think is probably, I mean, correct me if you think I'm wrong here, probably our best known Oh yeah, definitely. Work. I would 100% agree with that. It was definitely publicised a lot and you got to bear in mind where this piece took place. It was an exhibition celebrating her whole catalogue of works up to that point as well. So it was a huge celebration of Abramovich herself. Mm, and this took place in, so, we're, so we've gone from 1974, we've gone, then we've gone, we've just discussed 1970, work from 1977 and now we're sort of flying through to 2010. So as you've said, this was celebrating her work. And you would normally think, oh, a big retrospective of paintings and, and whatever else. So the piece that we're talking about is The Artist is Present. And this was arguably one of her longest pieces that she's ever performed, one of her longest pieces that she's done. And essentially all it was, was it was an empty gallery space. And there's a table and two chairs Abramovic is sat there on one chair in this wonderful red gown and she's just sat there quiet not interacting with any of the audience or anything that's around her she is focusing on whoever decides to come up and sit in the chair opposite her and she is sat there 
for long periods of time. She doesn't move at all. She's just immobile and she's just waiting to see what is invited across from her from that table. During this piece being formed, you've got to bear in mind there's lots of other um, of Abramovitz pieces being celebrated. So videos of past performance pieces, but she's also got other people actually performing past performance pieces that she's done in the past. So I think there was actually a recreation of Imponderabilia there as well. But then others, there's like just videos of and things like that. And it was very interesting because they kind of went through all of this to then join this queue to then be confronted with the actual artist who was present in front of us. And going back to that idea of presence, that is what the whole crux of her artistic career is aiming people to do, to be present. And when I read this thing when, when she pitched to the Curator Museum of Modern Art in New York, that that's the sort of the finale of this exhibition would be people could stand in a queue and sit with her. The curator responded, it's New York, it's way too busy. No one has time to sit and like sit and stare at you. Like that's ridiculous. And she was like, well, if no one sits, no one sits, let's try it. And it was March to May 2010. And as you said, she sat for long periods of time. So she sat for the whole time the museum was open. So eight hours a day. And then on Fridays, they're open late. So she would sit for 10 hours a day on a Friday, not moving, no breaks, not getting up to go to the toilet. And people went mental for it. People were queuing overnight. It broke records in that short period of time. Something like was it over eight hundred thousand people came to see the show just to see the show. So the actual number of sitters, because I've got the actual number, is one thousand five hundred forty-five. So that's how many people sat across from arena. So it obviously shows that people were really interested just to just to sit and the concept of that if you were to queue anywhere else just to sit somewhere that seems absolutely bizarre but it was as I say it's her it's her energy her her as a phenomenon like she draws people in it's just absolutely fascinating and actually thinking about it the only other time I think there's been a queue that long for anything was when the queen died (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah and this is a performance artist and people I think within the canon of art history, again, you can correct me if if my opinion here, but please Mm -hmm. feel something different. I do feel that painting is this thing that's really sort of elevated as the one true art form. And then you have sculpture and then sort of way, way down the line, performance art is sort of picked up as this thing is, yeah, okay, it's it's, it's important, but actually everyone, because think about it, if you say to most people, can you name a performance artist? They would be like, what are you on about? Mm-hmm. Most people could probably name a painter. Yeah. And actually I had someone, I don't know if it was yourself or someone else when I put out my open call, wrote me and said, uh, you've got no performance artists, no episodes on performance artists. And I was like, oh my God, you're totally right. You're completely right. I've got absolutely no episodes on performance artists. Yeah. So there was a mirror held up to me there. Um, but I think it also shows that there's not it's not that there's not an interest in it but more people feel comfortable coming on to speak about a painter or a sculptor or whatever because of what they like but I think what I'm trying to say is to pull those sorts of numbers is insane and I feel that she doesn't really get the recognition she deserves mm-hmm. I agree and I'm gonna say it because she's a woman <laughs> yep 
No, it's definitely true, especially around the time when she did start as well. Also, you've got to think about where the background that she came from, like as well. Like she's a Serbian artist. I don't think we've clarified that before. And the background that she had, like she was in a very militant kind of background of a family. And so for her to go from something like that to then be in this kind of setting itself, that growth is something just to admire alone. Yeah. But with this, it was just amazing, like, how people reacted when they sat across from her. Like, so Ule, who we spoke about previously, he actually was there on opening night and he actually sat across from her as one of the first people. And yet that was the only time that we saw any physical interaction from Marina during that whole performance because she actually reached across the table to, like, hold his hands as in a knowing thank you, like, connection, yeah. like acknowledging that past but there were like people that would sit across from her and like they would cry they would just break down in tears just looking into her eyes and it's interesting I don't know if you've seen like the documentary that was based on the artist in present exhibition at the time but you see some video clips of people that sit across from her and when they cry her tears wells up, but she doesn't break her stance, doesn't like curl over like some of us would do and we just naturally cry. She just sits there staring at you, tears just coming from her eyes, no breaking eye contact, no nothing. And so she is like, there's like a emotional exchange going on between the artist and the viewer. And it's, it's crazy because the premise is really simple. All she's asking people to do, or all she was asking people to do, was sit. But it's actually, it's, it's not as simple as that because how often do you just sit? Really, and everyone listening at home, when was the last time you just sat? Not checking your phone, not flicking through Netflix, not looking at Instagram, not thinking of all your to-do lists that you've got to do. When was the last time you just sat and looked into someone's eyes? Probably never, or a first, yeah. maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't happen. It really doesn't. It really doesn't. Like, you're thinking of my day-to-day today. Like, I've been sat down, but I've had my phone on standby or I've had, like, a book or something or, oh, I've got this stuff to do. Like, it's she's able to just shut her mind off completely. Like, that in itself is, like, a phenomenal skill. Like, it's really difficult to be able to train yourself to be like that. And I think that is, like, the pinnacle of, like, this simple performance piece, as simple in form as it is. It's the mental challenge. It's the challenge that she's putting on her physique, on her brain, everything. That's the admirable thing. And even though, you know, she has this very sort of calm, steady mind, when I've been listening to her talk and when I watch her talk, she is just this very centred person. Mm -hmm. Again, when you take, as you've just said, when you take into consideration her upbringing and the background that she came from, it's really incredible and I actually wonder if maybe of like the militant training, because her dad was in the military, if that has somehow been able to sort of help her be this, you know, take her to that place where she's sort of like, okay, this is, we're, we're now in performance mode because there's performance mode. And then there's actually Marina Abramovich, the person. They're, they're two, although the same person, they're two different things. Performance mm-hmm. mode is this really sort of long enduring I don't know what I'm trying to say here. It's just just this long, enduring state. And I think that regardless of if you're just sitting, even if you're just sitting, staring at somebody, you're still, the concentration to stare at someone intently, it must be so draining to just eight hours. 
Definitely. I think her her growing up definitely has to go with it. Both of her parents were actually in the military. They both were Yugoslav partisans, so they fought during World War II. And she was actually raised by her grandparents and until she was like, I think it was like six or seven or something like that. And her grandparents were deeply religious. So she had that ritual of our oh, candles in the morning, priests coming for different occasions, like all these different religious rituals that she would have to go through. And it was like kind of trained. So she kind of had that from the beginning. And she's just refined upon that, reflected upon that and been able to tune it in this brilliant way that is so underappreciated. Yeah, oh my God, <laughs> completely, completely. And I think there's going to be people at home like, what's the big deal about sitting in a chair and staring at someone? Like... I was listening to a podcast earlier today, um, I think it was called in- Art Intelligence or Intelligence Squared. Mm-hmm. It was a recording made after her London show that she did at the Serpentine. What was it called? 510 Hours, I think it was called. Mm-hmm. And essentially, she just invited people into the space to be quiet and essentially close their eyes. They put headphones on and it was just to stand in the space. And it was just all about the energy that that creates in a room with people. But why she thinks that the her show at MoMA was so successful was, she says, you know, that hundreds of thousands of people came through the door. Only mm-hmm. 1,500 of them were managed to sit in front of her. But she said, what that shows us is that there's an outcry for people to experience something. Mm-hmm. Experience something that they can't get on a phone or they can't get online. Something that they can experience with a person, be that connection or just being able to sit with yourself and even within that moment to give yourself permission to sit with yourself for a period of time and just not do anything else I completely agree with that especially when you think of so in the sense of you were talking earlier about the paintings and sculptures how those are like the traditional art means how accessible are those on your phone like a picture of them so accessible so when you are confronted with the real thing in person you go, I've seen that before. And it doesn't have as much of an impact anymore as I believe it would have obviously before technology and social media and all this wonderful, all these things were so prevalent. Whereas performance art, in order to be able to see it, you have to witness it. You will not get the same connotation that it may have, like if you watch a documentary on it and so on, like we have obviously done with Abramovich here, you will not get that same connection with that piece of artwork unless you actually see it in person. And it just delves you right in (laughs) exactly and it also you have to do something when you're experiencing a Marina Abramovich I don't actually think I asked you have you experienced Marina Abramovich like performance piece or an installation or anything like that I have not and I would love to one day I really would right (laughs) for everyone listening and yourself Gemma there is she's got her retrospective at the Royal Academy of Arts in London opens at the end of this year and it runs for about four months Mm-hmm. It should have opened during COVID, but then COVID happened. So yeah, <laughs> very rapidly shut down. I experienced, and I've said this to you just before we hit record, at the beginning of this year, I went to Modern Art Oxford. And before you entered into the experience, you had to put all your jackets and your bags away. You had to lock everything up and you had to watch a video. And essentially the video was instructions from Marina, even though she wasn't there. And she was essentially like, I require one thing from you. And all of my performance piece, it's one thing. I need you to surrender and trust me. And it was so powerful because that's exactly what what you have to do with a performance piece. Yeah. You have no idea what's coming. You just have to surrender and trust 
that you're going to be okay at the end of it. And as you've just said, you kind of, you know, when you see a painting, you're like, oh, yeah, okay, I've got it. I've seen it on my phone, seen it on the wall, whatever. It's not like a play. You can't read a review before you go. You have to just turn up and surrender. You just, you have to be it. And in my previous practice, when I was at college myself, I actually got a bit of that kind of control, if you will. So I had people do performance art piece for me. So I came up with the concept and had people go through it. And it's, you know, seeing them trust in that process and this is what I want you to do. Please just go along with it <laughs> kind of thing. You know, it's kind of interesting in a way. So it's you think going into it, it's not going to be as easy to go into it. But when you're stripped of everything that like could be all the distractions in the world and you're then put in that situation, it's more comforting to just go with it and like just see how that's go. And then you end up creating this connection as you go through that performative element. And it's just... It's just mind-boggling. <laughs> oh, Gemma, please, please, please tell me if you come to London to see the show because it would be lovely to like meet for a coffee and like pick yes. on it. And go. <laughs> but um, I oh gosh, I I couldn't agree with you more. It's such an underappreciated art form, and I just have to thank you again for coming on and talking about Marina Abramovich because she's oh she's just unbelievable. And for everyone listening at home, I'm going to leave a hell of a lot of links to the three artworks that we have discussed. They'll all be videos or there'll be articles. I'll leave a link to her TED Talk. And if you don't do anything else, just watch her TED Talk. You'll get yes. a very like to the point, this is what I do and how she ends her TED Talk as well. Is oh, <laughs> oh God, I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed. <laughs> and thank you for coming on and just, yeah, celebrating the brilliance that is Marina Abramovich. Before you go, Gemma, where can people connect with you and find out what you're up to? Because you're an artist yourself. You've moved away from the performance art element, if I understand correctly, and you're now a painter. Yes, yeah, so I'm a painter, but I actually um, use poetry within my painting. So although it's an abstract, I describe my work as abstract expressionist and uh, I use my poetry to kind of give some kind of narrative and like it's like it's basically exposing my vulnerable self within my work. I am a very small artistic creator, so you can find me on my Instagram and things like that at the moment. So That's amazing. Yeah. And I'll leave links to both of them in the show notes below so people can yeah. connect with you. Well, thank you for having me. Oh, no, thank you. Gemma, before you go, I ask every guest, or try and remember to ask every guest, one question. And it's a bit of a big one, so it's a bit mean, but you can take it as large or as sort of personal to you. Mm -hmm. And that question is, why is art important? I think art is important to challenge societal norms. But I also think more importantly, it's important just to have fun with it. Oh. Just delve yourself in. Oh. <laughs> There's no harm in doing that whatsoever. Do you know, I have done 60 plus episodes of this podcast now. And I don't ever think anyone said art is important just to allow you to have fun oh I love it I love it and you know what I know I can't see you um because the camera's off I'm recording this over zoom but your work is so colorful and playful and I just get that sense from you that that is who you are as an artist and yes <laughs> thank so, you oh I love it and um, thank you so much for coming on it's been amazing thank you very much <laughs> Thank you. 
And there you have it, another episode of Joe's Art History Podcast. If you've enjoyed the show, please make sure to like, rate and subscribe. It does really help in letting other people find us. You can listen to Joe's Art History Podcast on any streaming platform and you can also watch it in a video format on YouTube. If you would like to support the podcast in any way, I have now released an Amazon wish list, which you can also find in the show notes below. This will allow you to donate in part or purchase in full an art historical text that is of interest to me and that will help in research towards future episodes. And it would be really wonderful if you've listened to quite a lot of these, if you could buy that as a way of marking patronage towards the podcast, that would be brilliant. If you would like to get in touch, please do. It's always lovely to hear from people. You can email me, joesarthistory at gmail.com or you can get in touch with me via Instagram, which is at joesarthistory or you can search for my name, Joe McLaughlin, via Instagram and you will find me there. That's all we have from the podcast this week. Thank you so much for listening. Once again, I'll remind you to keep learning and remember, art is for all. Bye.